Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. When is the right time to start planning a family? What are the ways to prepare? Those are a couple of the basic questions we're concerning ourselves with today, and some aspects of reproductive health, including abortions and the morning after pill, are changing after the Supreme Court struck down the Roe versus Wade decision. In any case, taking control of family planning is important for Native parents and prospective parents. We'll start the discussion right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Canadian government has announced a multi-billion dollar settlement related to collective damage caused by residential schools. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the government says the settlement refers to unfinished business from two years ago. The class action lawsuit was brought by two British Columbia First Nations. It originally contained several classes of complaints, but two years ago, all parties agreed to focus on the initial settlement efforts on survivors and their descendants. That, they said, was to ensure they would get compensation during their lifetimes. The lawsuit was launched more than a decade ago in a bid for justice for day scholars who were abused while attending residential schools, but who were not eligible for the 2006 settlement for full-time students. It also represents 325 Indigenous First Nations across Canada. It's the first time Ottawa is compensating bands and communities as a collective for the damages related to residential schools. Here's Crown Indigenous Affairs Minister Mark Miller. While settlements that are being announced like these today do not erase or make up for the past, what it can do is help address the collective harm caused by Canada's past. Miller says the settlement is being guided by several key issues. The revival and protection of Indigenous language and culture, the protection and promotion of heritage, and the wellness of Indigenous communities and their people. Individual bands will decide on which of those pillars to focus on and will develop 10-year implementation plans. Miller says the $2.8 billion settlement will be put in an independent not-for-profit trust. More terms for the settlement will be released next month, and approval will take place at the end of February, followed by an appeal period. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. A small lot in downtown Juneau is at the center of a dispute between the state of Alaska and the U.S. Department of the Interior. It's the latest development in a years-long land-back effort by the Central Council of the Tlingit and Haida Indian Tribes. KTOO's Katie Anastas reports. Tlingit and Haida President Chalkaish Richard Peterson recently signed a deed to place a small parcel of land into federal trust. It essentially creates Indian country, a small spot where tribal law would apply. The lot is less than 800 square feet. But Peterson says the decision is about more than just the land. It's about tribal sovereignty and self-determination. These lands were unlawfully and illegally taken through the years. We've legally and lawfully tried to get them back. The state of Alaska is challenging the decision in court, saying it undermines key terms of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act by creating a reservation. Rules around whether Alaska Native tribes can put land into trust have changed with presidential administrations over the last several years. Under the Obama administration, Alaska Native tribes were allowed to submit applications for the first time since 1980. 
and in 2017, the Craig Tribal Association became the first Alaska tribe to have an application approved. But under the Trump administration, the Interior Department withdrew the revision. Then, under the Biden administration, the department issued a new opinion, allowing land to be put into trust for Alaska Native tribes again. Peterson says the state's lawsuit is setting the relationship between the state and tribes back. This endangers all applications for future land of trust for all tribes, not just Juneau, not just an urban center, but all of the rural applications. The Interior Department also has pending applications from two other tribes in Alaska. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Family planning has become a catch-all phrase for a wide range of topics for reproductive health. It includes contraception, assessing health risks, the abilities of the prospective parents, and even abortion. Understanding the resources available and the potential risks all go into improving the chances for a successful pregnancy. It can also help prevent unwanted pregnancies. The recent U.S. Supreme Court decision allowing states to decide on abortion access has reproductive health advocates concerned about what the lasting consequences are if that choice is taken off the table. Today on our show, we'll get a Native perspective of family planning. As always, we want our listeners to contribute to the dialogue. What considerations went into your own family planning? What questions or concerns do you have about family planning? Please feel free to join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also post a comment on our social media. Our handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now in Grove City, Ohio, is retired Captain Stacy Dawson. She's a senior women's health nurse consultant with the Indian Health Service Division of Nursing Services. Stacy, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you. My pleasure. Stacy, can you start us off with an overview of family planning services that IHS provides? Sure. IHS provides a wide array of family planning services. Anywhere from, as you talked about, uh, family planning prior to conception, so preconception visits, uh, as well as care throughout the pregnancy. Uh, labor and delivery timeframe, postpartum, and beyond um, through the entire women's life cycle, uh, including up through menopause. 
As far as family planning, uh, all contraceptive methods are available in our IHS National Core Formulary, and they're available to IHS patients at no cost to them. Uh, this also includes emergency contraception that's available directly from our IHS pharmacies upon request. And what are some major considerations that, that folks should have, families should have, parents should have when, when planning a pregnancy? So one of the things that we advise is that a patient should plan to speak with their provider early on. I, I know you posed the question, uh, when, when should that discussion happen? And, and we would say there's really never too early of a time. Uh, to speak with your provider and discuss any individual aspects that may be uh, needed for your healthcare throughout a pre pregnancy uh, timeframe and talking with your provider about any preconception needs, making sure vaccines are up to date, uh, that you're taking appropriate levels of folic acid, uh, abstaining from any substances such as um, drugs, alcohol, commercial tobacco use, and really having an individual conversation with your provider on, on how to proceed, um, on whether that is uh, with a family planning method or uh, on preconception matters. And Stacy, the folic acid, why is that so important for a healthy pregnancy? Sure. We suggest uh, taking folic acid uh, prior to uh, pregnancy and throughout pregnancy in order to uh, decrease the risk of neural tube defects. Uh, things such as spina bifida um, and, and different birth defects that may occur during pregnancy. And having an elevated folic acid level will help with that. And in addition to, to folic acid, what other measures should a prospective parent take to improve the chances of, of again, a healthy pregnancy? Again, I think speaking with a provider, because a lot of this can be very individual, so we do encourage uh, patients to speak with their individual providers. Uh, about any um, specific healthcare matters that they may need to address, for example, diabetes or high blood pressure in order to be at optimal health before conception, uh, as well as uh, some of the things that I mentioned previously about you know, making sure vaccines are up to date and uh, making sure that you're abstaining from any substance use at the time that you are um, trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. Now, Teen pregnancy, you know, that, that's always a hot topic uh, in, in a lot of communities. And have we seen a change in, in teen pregnancies, uh, the rates, uh, increases, decreases? What's the status there now, Stacey? Sure. Actually, uh, according to CDC data nationwide, uh, the, the teen pregnancy uh, rate is falling, uh, and that is uh, true also among our uh, American Indian Alaska Native youth as well. Now, I know in some communities, it, it's quite common to, um, you know, you know, have teenaged uh, girls um, go on birth control at, at a very early age, regardless of whether or not they're sexually active. Is, um, is that still, in many cases, uh, kind of the way it works in, in a lot of communities, a lot of, a lot of clinics and, and hospitals and such? I think, again, that it's a, it's a very individual uh, thing for, for each patient to discuss with their own provider, um, taking into account their, their individual health status and um, their intent for pregnancy and what that, that timeline might look like. Okay. So lowering teen pregnancy rates, I mean, what, what, what's driving that, do you think? What are, what's contributing to the, to the drop? That's very multifactorial. Uh, nationwide, even the uh, national birth rate dropping over time, um, as well as um, specifically in American Indian Alaska Native communities, 
and, and that may be for several different reasons. Uh, one can be the increased access to the uh, long-acting uh, reversible contraceptives, or LARCs, as we call them, which can be the uh, intrauterine devices, the IUD, um, or our, the, the arm implant, the Nexonon. Um, increased access to those and increased use of those, as well as just uh, family planning in, in general, um, increasing the education surrounding that and access to care surrounding that. Interesting. And Stacey, for anybody listening today, I mean, interested in, in, in learning more self-education, what do you recommend in terms of websites or books or any other materials out there that can help families plan for, for healthy pregnancies? family planning? Sure. The um, American Midwifery uh, Board or um, A1, um, either of those have excellent um, sites, Share With Women. Uh, the CDC also has an excellent family planning um, section that can be referred to. There's um, um, reproductiverights.gov has a lot of information um, nationally from, from kind of a federal um, perspective as well. Um, the list kind of goes on. We do definitely recommend using um, vetted sites versus using social media for family planning education. Now, I think a lot of times when we think of a family planning, uh, we think often of it as being uh, a, a women's issue. And I, I think in many cases, you know, women are, are maybe more directly impacted, but it certainly impacts men too. And what can men do, Stacey, to, to not only ensure a, a healthy pregnancy on their end, but also support their partners as much as possible uh, to, to promote a healthy pregnancy? Sure, thank you. That's a great question. Um, so one thing would really be involvement, um, as you said, and in, in offering that support, um, you know, attending appointments, asking questions, um, doing that online research um, that you, you were just asking about, um, and really being involved in that care from, from the beginning, um, from preconception onward, um, you know, taking a, a vested interest in reproductive health and, and how um, best to, to serve your partner um, with that. And oftentimes in a family, there might be older siblings uh, in the household as well, and, and can they support their parents and, and contribute as well to, to a healthy pregnancy? Yes, definitely. We recommend um, that that pregnancy really is a, a family affair, and for uh, everyone to be involved and and to really support the pregnancy through all aspects, physical, mental, spiritual, um, for the entire family. Now, I know uh, prematurity uh, is. You know, the statistics uh, show in, in Native communities there are higher rates of premature births. And, and I speak from experience. Uh, our own daughter, she's nine now, but she was born premature. And uh, what are your recommendations there, Stacy, in terms of trying to, to curb some of those prematurity rates? And, and how can healthy pregnancies, you know, contribute to lowering those numbers? Sure. So one um, thing that we would recommend that can help to curb these numbers is, of course, still a lot of research coming out of, of, beyond, uh, behind the how and the why and all of that. Uh, but one of the things that we recommend is for patients to seek care early in the pregnancy uh, and to maintain that prenatal care access uh, throughout the pregnancy. You know, make sure they're going for routine checkups as recommended by their provider. Um, 
following up on any care that is recommended uh, as much as possible um, in order to have the best outcomes for pregnancy. We are speaking with retired Captain Stacy Dawson. She's a health nurse consultant, women's health nurse consultant with the Indian Health Service. And our topic today is family planning. So anyone listening now, planning a family or even just possibly thinking about the future, now's a great time to get in on our conversation, learn more about what goes into healthy family planning, specifically as it relates to Native communities, Native households, Native families. The number to call, 1-800-996-2848 if you have a comment or a question you'd like to share, any experiences uh, you'd like to talk about as well with regard to your own family planning. Uh, if you've had a baby recently or you're pregnant now, we'd love to hear about what has gone into that uh, planning that you've made. Uh, if you're involved with uh, any of these resources that we've talked about, we'd love to hear your feedback as well in terms of how those have worked out for you as a listener. So again, that number, 1-800-996-2848. You can also connect with us through social media. We've got the Facebook going. We've got the Twitter, and you know that handle, one 800 native We're going to have to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to speak with Sarah Adams, and she's uh, part of a nonprofit group called Matriarch, and she's going to share some information as well with regard to healthy pregnancies and family planning and some of these other related topics that fall under this big umbrella of what we think of as family planning. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Seattle uses traditional indigenous ingredients to support residents of an innovative native-run housing project. Three indigenous chefs are nominated for a prestigious culinary award, and we'll find out how native egg farmers are not affected by the market forces driving up egg costs. That's next on The Menu on Native America Calling. Hey, Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about family planning today. What questions or concerns do you have? What do you wish you'd known before starting your own family? Join the conversation at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Let's get some calls going. We got the phone lines open. Joining us now from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, is Sarah Adams. She's the co-founder of the nonprofit group Matriarch. She's a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Sarah, here we are on live radio. We're talking about all these issues related to family planning. We've mentioned contraceptives and these other things. I mean, it seems like things have changed uh, over the years. Um, can you talk more about this whole 
concept of family planning and how those discussions have changed, not only in communities, but in households over the years. Absolutely. I think that with uh, over the last, you know, several decades, things have really changed when we're talking about sexual health and uh, we're talking about um, sex and and uh, our bodies. There really has been this, thank goodness, this really evolved, this evolution of conversation around making sure that our children are aware of their bodies, uh, conversations around consent and healthy relationships, what it looks like to be um, actively um, preparing for your future around uh, around being pregnant or if you need an abortion, how to prevent pregnancies, STIs. And those are, th- those are conversations that a lot of us were not having when, when we were young. And so it's been, it's been this, this really great um, kind of surge of information and conversation in communities that, that by, you know, for a lot of us didn't exist previously. And Sarah, what do you think is driving uh, that change in the dialogue? Does it relate to changes in policies or, or perhaps values? What do you think's uh, what's going on? Well, you know, I think it's a, a, a various things are happening, but I think that there has been a lot more um, uh, women and people who can become pregnant. Um, there's been a lot more conversation and open dialogue. Uh, so that these things aren't seen seen as shameful. They're seen as part of life. These are, you know, sex is certainly a part of of, of our lives. And and what you know, being uh, the driver behind behind your life and making sure that you are making informed decisions has become a lot uh, a lot more important and something that is, uh, thank goodness regarded as a part of your overall health and not as taboo as it used to be. Um, Specifically in my family, it was something that I was very adamant that when I had children, they were going to understand the parts of their body, how sex happened, how it works, about consent, about STIs, about making sure that they had the tools that they needed to uh, protect themselves we should think about it like we do anything else. We teach our children how to brush their teeth to make sure that they have uh, that they have dental care that they're and it should be like that for uh, sexual health as well. And so it's one of those things that really is, I think a lot of us are realizing we didn't have those tools when we were growing up, and we wish we had. Um, and and it's it's certainly there's data that shows that whenever they have more information, they wait longer to become sexually active. And as we've seen, some of those teen pregnancy rates are decreasing. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that really fascinates me about today's discussion is just how multifaceted family planning is, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, so many different working parts. And uh, obviously, you know, there have been a lot of uh, really good uh, developments uh, in Native communities, a lot of progress. But what aspects of family planning, Sarah, would you like to see improve for Native households? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think when we're talking about Roe v. Wade and access to abortion health care, things like that, that's that's an area that is has really been a barrier for 
a lot of Indigenous people who use Indian health care services because of the Hyde Amendment, which, which restricts the use of funding for services like abortion care. And while there are a few exceptions, by and large, that's been a huge barrier for Indigenous people who can be pregnant. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's been that's been happening for a long time. So it, it just feels like there are uh, policy wise, there are more barriers in the way of making sure that we have all the all the options and access to to make decisions and, and really exercise uh, our body sovereignty. Now, Sarah, you, of course, are in Oklahoma, and that's a state that has some very strict laws on abortion. And earlier, you just mentioned uh, Roe v. Wade. And how how does that change the landscape for family planning in a state like Oklahoma, where, as you mentioned, you know, there's some really strict policies in place. And some of the, the rhetoric and, and the narratives with regard to some of these issues uh, is very strong. It is. And it's, it's, it's very restrictive. Oklahoma is a very restrictive state. Um, and it, it's it's made it a scarier place to be and live because, um, you know, it these bans on abortion won't stop abortion from happening. They just make them unsafe. Um, having being able to be under uh, a professional medical uh, care uh, greatly reduces the risk of death or infection when uh, when somebody is receiving an abortion. And to take that that safety net away really just puts more people at risk, and uh, it it definitely is uh, makes it harder to to be able to care for your body, and it's a it's a question about access right, too, right? So those who have the money to be able to go out of state and and uh, access abortion care, they can do that, and it's still going to be restrictive for those who. Uh, are living in poverty or have less access to services or traveling, things like that. Well, well, Sarah, earlier you also mentioned the importance of of these dialogues, especially in families with children and and initiating these conversations sooner rather than later. And um, how is is that type of, you know, dialogue and just the educational aspect, how's that being impacted as well by what you're seeing in your state right now? Yeah, I think, well, I think there, it's it's always mixed, right, depending on who you're talking to and and the communities that you're in. And, and for a lot of indigenous communities, that, ha, that has very much been a taboo subject, that it's something you don't talk about, that's something that you, you don't talk about sexual health. But I've seen a few initiatives in our community over the last decade or so that have been a great push to talk not just about sexual health, but about about uh, relational health, about consent, um, about QSLGBTQ relationships, making sure that we're inclusive. Um, and, and, and those conversations, by and large, have really been brought, brought to the front by these younger generations, our millennials and our uh, Gen, Gen Zers, and uh, they have really created a new language around consent and fluidity of gender. And so these, these topics are just a lot more um, open and are happening a lot more often in communities. Uh, there are a couple of websites that, you know, that are also really great about making sure that if, if you're not a, a parent who can 
have that open conversation yet, it, there are some websites that you can go to to help you gu guide you through those uh, conversations or even point your kids in that direction to make sure that they're that they're being safe. Well, sir, I think so many eyes are on the state of Oklahoma right now to see how this all kind of plays out. And of course, it's, uh, I, I think, still too early to really determine exactly what the, the full impact is going to be. But uh, with regard to family planning, I, I mean, I think there is a question here that a lot of people probably have in their minds. And the question is, I mean, is there any evidence perhaps that when there is a restriction to access uh, to abortions like what's happening now in Oklahoma, do you think there's any correlation between that and, and better family planning simply because people know that, that that option has been taken off the table, at least temporarily? No, I don't, actually. I think the less we talk about these things, the more we're going to see uh, unwanted pregnancies happen, the more we're going to see um, our, uh, our, some of our young ones making choices that, that uh, uninformed decisions, because once we start shutting these things down, we start shutting down access and care, we, we are also shutting down communication and conversation around it as well, and uh, informed education and conversation. And I think that it, it, it kind of does the opposite. It, 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 it shuts down these, these avenues uh, that we had previously had open uh, more more uh, informed information reduces a lot of those rates that we actually see. So I think it, it kind of does the opposite. And it to me, it feels like it induces more fear around this topic. It moves us backwards in a place to where we're to, we're uh, framing some of these issues around shame and even talking about it as family planning. You know, sex happens a lot in unwanted pregnancies when you're you're not concerned, you're not thinking about having a family, you're not wanting to have a child, and we have to be honest about those conversations. That that's not that's not the reason that a lot of our young people are engaging in sexual relationships. Um, and so, you know, just making sure that we are being honest about that as well. Um, and keeping them safe, I think, has to be our priority. Giving them the information and keeping them safe um, needs to be the goal uh, of, you know, some of these conversations. Sarah, what I'm hearing here then is um, people need to be really um, cognizant of the fact that there's family planning and then there's sex education. And perhaps those two uh, are maybe parallel, but in some ways very different. They are. Um, uh, because it's it's certainly one thing to have uh, to be wanting to uh, have a family, and by and large, a lot of these um, some of our young adults and some of our kids who are engaging in sexual uh, in sexual relationships or behavior are at some point probably will want a family, but right now is is not is not that time, and we have to make sure that we equip them with all of the information so that they can make those decisions. Um, and still be able to engage in sex in a healthy way. Um, and they, and I do believe that they are two different conversations, but under the same umbrella. We're speaking with Sarah Adams. Uh, she's the co-founder of the nonprofit group Matriarch. If anyone has a question for our show today, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's talk a little bit more uh, about uh, the differences between family planning and sex education as 
Sarah helped explain for us. And to do that, I, I want to introduce our next guest who is joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Nicole Martin. She is a co-founder and sex educator with Indigenous Women's Rising. She is Navajo, Laguna, Chiricahua, Apache, and Zuni. Nicole, welcome back to Native America Calling. Yes, hello. How are you? Yate, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And uh, so we're having a really, really fascinating conversation today, uh, Nicole, learning so much uh, in this whole concept of, of, you know, really being very cognizant of the difference between family planning and, and sex education. And I know your organization has, has a strong sex education component. And tell us a little bit more about that. And, and, and is there a different approach uh, for teaching sex education for Native people than for other populations when it comes to these issues? Yeah, thank you for that question. I believe sex education for Indigenous communities definitely looks different than the general population. Um, from my perspective, the curriculum that I had created years ago um, was like looking at it through an indigenous perspective, right? How could sex education be more comprehensive? And I really turned more to um, our oral stories and traditions that talk about sex, gender, and sexuality, and kind of bringing that, that back to the forefront of, you know, our ancestors have had already ways that talked about you know, family planning, prevention, um, you know, and the dues are basically kind of like protocols of like how one carries themselves and how they like respect their reproductive um, and sexual health care. Now, earlier, um, Nicole, we, we talked about the importance of, of educating people and, and educating young people, you know, rather early. And, um, I want to ask you uh, a little bit more specifically. I mean, you know, when is a good time to to start these discussions, and how should they be framed? And you know, you talk about you know drawing from from traditions and culture, and how does that all work? Into I'm just envisioning a family today, 2023, maybe an urban family, maybe a family in a native community, either or. But how do how do they need to really put these issues into context when when talking to their families and their children? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to get rid of the stigma around teen pregnancy, mostly for the fact that a lot of us have been born to, or, you know, came into this world by by teen parents themselves. And so when you look at that, it's really, when we start to have these conversations, it should start earlier when the kids are, you know, beginning to develop and beginning to learn uh, you know, different uh, social cues or like language and things like that, especially when it comes to their own bodies. Um, I know a lot of my coworkers and a lot of my really good friends uh, teach their uh, toddlers about good touch and bad touch. So then it's that idea of consent, teaching consent early and knowing and letting the youth know, like, you know, you have a right to your own body, right? And how you want it to be respected and how you want people to, um, you know, uh, treat you as well as another five-fingered being. And also, in turn, it just also shows you how to have relationships with your non-five-fingered beings and, like, even the environment as well. You know, you don't just go, go into nature and start, you know, throwing things around because you feel like it, right? Like, that's something that you wouldn't do out of respect. And so 
teaching about consent at an early age really empowers the youth to really know when there's um, when there's something not right and how they can address it and how they can incorporate their boundaries. And then not only that, like it gives them more skills on how they can navigate on how to um, handle these situations because it's not just a physical uh, thing when people get you know, experience sexual violence or the consent isn't um, respected or honored, it carries on into, like, the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect, too. And I feel that our current education systems don't give us those tools or um, show us how can we have uh, conversations around consent, therefore leading, which would lead to, like, our sexual health, right, and knowing, like, what are things that are pleasurable and things that aren't pleasurable for ourselves? We're talking with Nicole Martin. She is a sex educator with Indigenous Women's Rising. Call in with a question or a comment, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Got to take a short break. We'll be right back. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There is still time to join our conversation about family planning. You can call with your comments or questions by tapping 1-800-996-2848 into that touchscreen keypad. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's go to the phones now. In fact, listening in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley is a voice that I think many of us are familiar with. Shanupa, this is two calls in one week. You're on a roll. Hey, thank you. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask the lady that represented her position on how to reach out to young women to prevent pregnancy and so forth, here on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, we dog soldiers, what we do is when we see criteria taking place between the young girls and young boys, we usually send them to our grandmothers, our matriarchal, you know, grandmothers. And in tone, what they do is they prescribe them traditional remedies and traditional counseling. And even the boys, when they get in that criteria of, you know, when the the sex hormones rise, okay, they send them to us. And so we dog soldiers, what we do is we take them out to cut wood, do things out in the oral community. And so... Back to this question about this lady that was talking about this. What is the most primitive way to prevent children's young age pregnancy in this modern age in the year 2023? And that's my question. All right. Thank you for that call. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and let Nicole respond to that. Nicole, you know, what's in your opinion or what's the research say, the data? What's the best way to curtail early preteen pregnancies? That's the caller's question. Thank you for that question. Um, Really, honestly, comprehensive sex education, you know, giving our youth the resources, um, and if they so happen to have gotten, uh, found them in um, 
situation where they're in an unwanted pregnancy, um, reaching out to their local abortion fund, Indigenous Women Rising, also has a strong component of um, our abortion fund, um, which we're currently funding in 37 states. We have had to have funds, um, you know, those under 18 for uh, their procedures as well. And so not stigmatizing. I mean, abortion care is also as old as, um, you know, people have been giving birth. So there are traditional medicines um, around our homeland that people use to induce labor. Um, and so if you're talking about a primitive way, we'd be looking at... Um, our, our traditional medicines that have been given to us not only by the land, but also by uh, um, our spirits as well. Nicole, thank you for that answer. I'm going to go ahead and let uh, Sarah Adams chime in as well. Sarah, anything to add uh, to the caller's question about reducing uh, these early teen pregnancies uh, other than taking cold showers, perhaps? I don't know. Hey, <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Um, and I think, you know, I just echo everything that Nicole mentioned. I think making sure at an early age that they understand their bodies, they know accurate terminology, that they not feel shame around it, that they have people uh, in their lives that can, they can have open and honest communication with, uh, having a, a, you know, trusted people in your community, as as your caller mentioned, is important. But not all of our communities have these things, not all of our Indigenous youth have, you know, the, the boarding school played a huge part in, um, in you know, really colonizing and, and placing shame. And when we're talking about abuse as well, which, which really can hinder, um, you know, a person's ability to have, you know, conversation about, about those things. Uh, you know, that wasn't happening in my family. So, you know, understanding that not of all of our Indigenous children have those resources of elders who are open to mentor or have those conversations, uh, you know, we, we have to make sure that we're, um, we're, we're leading them in the right way. And um, if they don't have those people in their lives, that we, we offer something in, um, something else, some other people that they can go to and have those talks. Um, so that they aren't left to their own devices to try to figure it out for themselves, which which can be a scary road to go down. Let's bring our, our next guest, our fourth guest in the conversation now. Joining us from Lake Andes, South Dakota, is Sharon Assatoyer. She is the executive director and CEO of the Native American Community Board, which is a parent organization to the Native American Women's Health Education Resource Center. She is Comanche. Sharon, welcome back to NEC. Yes, thank you very much for asking me to be on the show today. Absolutely, Sharon, and we're having a, a really riveting conversation here, learning so much. And I want to ask you, what aspects of family planning would you like to see improved in, in Native families and households? I'd like to see uh, a women's uh, uh, choice respected and honored, uh, which means... Um, the ability to uh, to have children or not to have children, um, the ability to make a decision and have that respected by all entities. 
uh, in terms of family planning, uh, family planning means being able to to have a, a choice. And currently, we have seen our choices limited. Historically, we've seen our choices limited. And, um, you know, starting out with the whole sterilization uh, abuses that were committed by the Indian Health Service. And now what we're seeing are the, um, uh, you know, the rollback of Roe v. Wade. And that is very dangerous when you put the kind of restrictions that we've had recently put on us by the court, by the Supreme Court. Uh, there's, I live in uh, South Dakota, which is a trigger state, which meant it had a law in place that stated if Roe v. Wade were uh, to be rolled back, that immediately our uh, restrictions would kick in. And that's what's happened. South Dakota has one exception to the rule, and that is uh, in the life endangerment of the woman. And only then would she be allowed to have an abortion. And what has happened is that we have a lot of physicians that are very uh, unsure about this law and what are the uh, boundaries. Um, if a woman has a condition that uh, is potentially life-threatening, there's nothing that they can do until her life is being threatened by that condition. Um, she has to be dying in order for them to be able to um, perform an abortion under the South Dakota law. And that's got a lot of physicians very uncomfortable and some even uh, considering leaving the state to practice elsewhere. It's, um, I've talked to doctors and, uh, and also patients, uh, women who've had conditions that are potentially life-threatening, and it's very frightening. Mm -hmm. I can so, imagine... But, I'm sorry, Sharon. I just want to ask. So, so, what is you know, what are some of these Native women in South Dakota doing then, uh, based on on what you're telling us that it has to be a, a life threatening situation? It has to be advanced enough to make that determination. Doctors are scared. They're standoffish. They don't know, you know, if they could be prosecuted or not. Uh, the, the the women that you that you're working with. I mean, what what are they saying? What are they doing? Exactly. That's the the uh, con that's the environment that we're faced with now. So it's very important that um, media, um, classroom, uh, physicians let women know um, that not to wait around for things to change, but to take action, to be proactive. And time is of the essence here. So uh, we have to leave the state of South Dakota in order to go uh, in order to have uh, these services performed. So it, depending on the, the uh, which end of the state you live, the east or the west, um, for us over here in the east end, we have to go down to uh, Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, or else over to uh, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so it's going to cost more money. It's going uh, and, and It's going to cost more time. Um, travel distance, and, um, of course, the uh, money for the procedure. So get started soon, make your decision, and 
turn to uh, organizations that can help you. They can make referrals. Um, uh, Planned Parenthood can. We can. Um, because Native women have uh, a much greater disadvantage than other women. We have the uh, ruralization, which means farther distances. We have uh, a greater uh, 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 level of poverty. So you're going to have to have extra resources, not only the resources for the procedure, but to travel the additional distance and and you have to um, spend the night in the hotel. Uh, we've got to worry about, uh, you know, do we have children already and who's going to take care of them when we leave the state for this procedure to take place. So you've got the child care issue. Um, so there's just so many factors that uh, that are to consider be taken into consideration. So now, what Sharon, we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. You're doing what now? Yeah, what we're doing is tra- is trying to raise money so that the women um, here in this community have uh, resources when they need them. And okay. um, as that builds, we're going to expand that to other reservations in South Dakota, that, that abortion fund. Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you also about the educational side of this that we've talked about before. And now that uh, a lot of these families— and, and women in particular know that, um, you know, there. Are, this is the issue. This is what um, what the law says there in South Dakota. Um, what kind of discussions, what kind of conversations, what kind of education are, are, are organizations like yours doing or changing um, so that women in South Dakota, Native women specifically, um, you know, don't have to don't have to get into the situation to begin with, perhaps with having to figure out a way to gain access to an abortion, with all these hurdles that you're describing for us. Well, a lot of times, um, you know, a, abortion is needed because of failed contraceptives. Mm-hmm. You know, contracep- There is no contraceptive except for exten- uh, abstention that uh, is 100 percent. Um, Effective, and then there's the uh, the uh, consideration for uh, sexual assault. Uh, when a woman is raped, she has no choice as in terms of. Uh, oh, excuse, excuse me, would you stop and use a condom? Oh, wait, I haven't taken my pill yet today. She doesn't have that choice. Right, and right. it's it's taken from her, so she has to um, have a plan B, so to. Speak. Um, so to speak, and um, in 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 place, and um, okay, that well, uh, I, something that has to be considered. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned you know that that, that contraceptives are are not are, are not fail proof. They're certainly not, and and you know and how they're used. Uh, you know they need to be used consistently and correctly. It's a huge factor, and, and both men and women have a role in, in ensuring that. So, because if they're if they're used the way they're commonly used, the 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 effectiveness it, it's it's not nearly as effective. The rates go up a lot. So, I'm interested in knowing you know what's being done to encourage diligent use of contraceptives by 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 all parties. Well, I don't think a person is going to take a contraceptive if they're not going to use it effectively. Um, 
it, a failed contraceptive means that um, you took your contraceptive and you fell into that uh, three, four, five percentile of uh, ineffective contraceptives, and that happens with birth control pills. It happens with, you know, all kind of uh, condoms. Um, it, it's not just not taking it. It's um, the fact that there is no uh, contraceptive that's 100 percent effective mm-hmm. other than to abstain. So right. um, that's really important to get across to people. Also, if you take a a lot of times phys- physicians don't tell you you have say you go in, you have strep throat and they give you an antibiotic and you happen to be on the pill. They don't tell you a lot of times that um, you need to abstain or you need to use a condom um, until you're completed your uh, antibiotics because that kills the effectiveness of the contraceptive. And so a lot of women do get pregnant in situations like that, mainly because they weren't informed by their physician. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to to know about contraceptives, and we turn to our healthcare providers to keep us informed. So it's important that they do their job as well, too. Well, Sharon, we're going to have to wrap up the show here in about another minute, but I do want to give you the last word. And, and earlier you talked about the, the challenges uh, facing uh, women in South Dakota seeking an abortion. So uh, could you share any services that are available for covering costs and the transportation, some of those things that you mentioned? We do have to wrap up in you know, about 30 seconds or so, though. Yes, you can call the uh, Native American Community Board at 605-487-7072. And uh, ask to speak to um, Sharon, that's me, um, or Elizabeth, and we can um, help you with uh, referrals, uh, raising the resources necessary. Um, Just give us a call. You can call Planned Parenthood in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, and also uh, ask them for uh, referrals. And Sharon, I'm go. sorry, we're going to have to wrap up the show. Really appreciate all of our guests today and what's been a really enlightening conversation on the topic of family planning. Join us tomorrow for The Menu, our regular program about Native food and food sovereignty. I'm Sean Spruce. We'll talk again soon. Looking for opportunities to expand, improve, and share your artistic talents? The Crazy Horse Memorial has programs for indigenous artists, culture bearers, and educators of North America, including funding, an artist residency, a speaker series, performance opportunities, and more. The Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation mission is to protect and preserve the cultures, traditions, and living heritages of North American Indians. Application deadline is January 31st at crazyhorsememorial.org, who support this show. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.